Welcome to Fear the Fro. Shot blocked by Mobley. Holy Mobley. Donovan Mitchell is eight for eight from downtown. Darius Garland hit it from Euclid. Lobbed out of pow. Oh, that was gorgeous. A Cleveland Cavalier podcast. What do we need to add? What do we need to give coach? The game has come down to space and opportunity. We address that. Hosted by the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Yeah, his name is Bob Schmidt. Bob, Bob Schmidt. Schmidt. Spectacular talent. That guy is a legend. Got it! The buzzer! Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. First pod of 2024. And we've got a new feature. A listener feedback feature at CavsPod.com. That will be the focus of this first conversation. Not really. That feature won't be the focus, but that feature will generate the conversation we're about to have here right now. I'm separating this from my typical post-game reaction pod. I'm going to post it before the Cavs-Raptors game because I want to address the OG Ananobi, Emmanuel Quickly, RJ Barrett deal uh, in detail. And that is a subject which came up via the listener feedback feature. It's at my website, CavsPod.com. There is a button on the website that is simply labeled Talk to Bob. What it does is it allows you to record yourself making a comment. It can be you insulting me. It can be you disagreeing with me. It can be you asking me a question. Whatever you may choose. But know that I may very well use that audio on this podcast when you make that recording. So don't admit to any felonies. Do not tell me where you have buried several bodies. Let's delay no more. I made an intro. That's how excited I am. I feel like if I put production value behind something, you should embrace it. Please leave a message. And now a message recorded and submitted to me at CavsPod.com. Hey, Bob. Hello from one of your followers, BP and Pepper Pike. BP and Pepper Pike, what do you got? I have a couple of questions for you. Toronto and New York made a huge trade two of our rivals in the Eastern Conference. I want to know who you thought won that trade and how that impacts the Cavs. We lost against the Knicks. Do you think this fortifies the Knicks or not that much? Let me know your thoughts on the trade. Okay, let's start there. He's got more. We'll get to the second part of his comment and question in a moment. But let's talk about this trade because a huge trade over the course of the weekend certainly kind of came out of nowhere. The trade deadline is still over a month away. So for... The New York Knicks on the heels of getting thumped by the Orlando Magic and having no answer for Franz Wagner uh, pulled the trigger, finally. And they got off two guys who have been in multiple trade rumors, including the ones with Donovan Mitchell over a year ago. Uh, These were certainly pieces who everybody expected to move for two reasons. R.J. Barrett paid handsomely, delivering... Every other game. He's one of these guys who, for the money that he's costing, perhaps not a long-term fit for the roster that's constructed in New York. And with Quickly, it's as simple as you have Jalen Brunson. Quickly is going to command a lot of money on this free agent market. And can you afford to pay a guy who you don't even put in many of your crunch time lineups the kind of money he's going to dictate, which will be over $20 million a season, I would suspect. Perhaps even more if he plays well with these Toronto Raptors. Here are my thoughts on this trade. I want to begin by speaking from the New York Knicks perspective. On a surface level, I do think they sent out more talent than they brought in. In fact, I think there's a reasonable chance that quickly becomes the best asset involved in this trade in terms of what he produces versus what he'll be paid on a long-term basis. But for the Knicks, he simply wouldn't have retained that value. 
I don't think you can view it as a two-for-one if you're a Knicks fan. I think you have to try to rationalize it to yourself as, well, we gave away the right to pay quickly alongside R.J. Barrett for an upgrade of R.J. Barrett into O.G. Ananobi. You got off what was a regrettable choice last year during the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes to give R.J. Barrett $30 million, essentially taking you out of those discussions altogether. Just a year removed, you get off that, and the cost of getting off that contract was essentially to also hand the Raptors a manual quickly. Instead of trying to shop him elsewhere and recouping some sort of first-round pick or whatever else you may have been able to get from the marketplace for quickly, because he's the prized asset for the Raptors in this deal. It's not R.J. Barrett, regardless of him being a Canadian. It's not that R.J. Barrett's a bad player. He certainly had moments in that series against us. Not the first two games, but he was very pivotal in games three for five. Three through five, excuse me. The issue is the amount of money you're paying him is not commensurate with a guy showing up every other game or having huge shooting slumps like he has in this past month. Just in the month of December, he is shooting 25% from outside the arc after an October in which he was 43%. That type of inconsistency is exactly what I'm talking about. He started out the season good from three, and now he's back to being a bit of a disappointment there. OG Ananobi, while he may not have the propensity for putting up big scoring games that an R.J. Barrett does, he's a more consistent performer on both ends of the court. And for a Knicks team which already has high-volume scores in Brunson and Randall, I think it's very justifiable to say, you know what, we may take the lower overall scoring ceiling of an OG Ananobi from a Barrett and a Quickly for the elite-level defense, the steady scoring profile, a career 38% shooter from outside the arc, who for four seasons now has been putting up at least six three-pointers a game, and just the ability to be a bit more deferential in the offense. Now, I've seen people comment things like, well, this effectively ends any talks of Donovan Mitchell being traded to the Knicks. I think that's premature. Now, I don't want to get into a big dialogue about the reality of Donovan Mitchell going to the Knicks. I think that's still yet to be seen. As I said on a previous podcast, if we win, if we give him the best chance to win and we can pay him the most money, I don't think it's a very realistic conversation that we need to engage in. But BP and Pepper Pike asked, play this out for hypothetical sake. If we do decide to sit on Donovan Mitchell and it becomes apparent that yes, he does in fact want to go to New York, and that is the only place that he wants to go. And we find ourselves in a situation where we're deciding, okay, he's either going to walk away in free agency or we're going to accommodate his desires and help do a sign-and-trade situation where we send him to the Knicks. In that situation, I don't think this effectively changes anything. In fact, I might go so far as to say that this is actually a better construction from the viewpoint of the Cavaliers. It's more likely that they might engage in a trade with the Knicks because OG Ananobi is exactly the type of player that comes up in discussions when everybody is trying to shop Jared Allen in trade rumors. The Cavaliers roster has a glaring void for exactly what OG provides, which is length, three-point shooting, and elite defense in an ancillary role to our primary shot takers and shot makers. This is not meant to slander Okoro. But I think we can all acknowledge if he had three additional inches, as well as 
taking six three-pointers a game and making them at the same percentage that he is now, we would love it. The absence of that archetype is exactly what created that section of the fan base that has been trying to trade Jared Allen for six months now. A section of the fan base who I fucking hate. The issue, of course, is what OG Ananobi is going to be paid. But here's the thing. Any in-season trade scenario or any sign-and-trade scenario that will happen in the future involving Donovan Mitchell will require somebody on the other end of the ledger making big, big dollars because Donovan is one of the highest paid guards in the league and will continue to be. I think what the Knicks did in trading for OG Ananobi was an acknowledgement that nobody with a superstar to send to New York, whether that be Donovan or Embiid or who, whoever you want to put in there, just plug one of the, this guy may eventually be traded to New York because it's New York rumor monger people. Nobody wanted a poo-poo platter of R.J. Barrett on a heavy contract or Emmanuel quickly. OG Ananobi probably will be extremely high paid for his production after this summer. But that archetype, it's the same logic of Mikael Bridges. Is Mikael Bridges the 1A option of your team? Absolutely not. But to parallel this to my own life journey, uh, we just purchased a secondhand snoo. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but for those of you who have newborns, apparently it's a, I don't know, it helps babies sleep and parents get sleep. I'm not going to pretend that I understand. My wife did all the research, but in her research, she found that there is an extremely high resale market for these things. So even though it costs several hundred dollars, her belief is that after we have a child and after it's through that stage of its life, that we will then be able to repackage and resell this thing and essentially recoup most of our investment. It's the same idea with Mikhail Bridges, with OG Ananobi, with whoever. If and when the Knicks find themselves in the marketplace for a true difference-making superstar in the future, a guy like OG Ananobi always has some value. He always retains some value on the court for nearly any team in the league. The same can't be said for quickly. Just look at what happened in New York. Jalen Brunson's mere existence rendered much of what he brings as a surplus for the New York Knicks and not a necessity. I think OG's far more movable than an overpay of an R.J. Barrett or an Emmanuel Quickly. Barrett's got size, but he's a terrible outside shooter and Quickly is a score-first guard in a league full of score-first guards. I find it extremely hard to believe that anyone with a true superstar, the ilk of a Donovan Mitchell or a Joel Embiid or whoever, was going to deal with the New York Knicks rather than just risk losing their guy for nothing when the centerpiece of all the proposed trades was an overpaid R.J. Barrett and a, in all likelihood, overpaid or fairly compensated Emmanuel quickly. The fact that he's a restricted free agent makes me think it's possible the Raptors retain him on a fair market deal, but it's also entirely possible in a weak free agent crop that somebody will throw far too much money at him simply because he's in his mid-20s. So my point is not that OG Ananobi is an equal return for guys like a Donovan Mitchell or a Joe Embiid. My point is simply that it's a more palatable return if those teams find themselves forced into a leverage trade because the alternative is the guy walking away of his own free volition in unrestricted free agency. In no way would I be happy with that deal, but I will say this, I would be happier with that as the centerpiece along with a bunch of draft assets than I would in a construction where we bring back a quickly to fill Donovan Mitchell's Boyd and have to pay R.J. Barrett $30 million a year. 
maybe you don't share my opinion there. That's entirely fine. The point here is that I disagree with anyone who asserts that this essentially ends the pursuit of Donovan Mitchell. I don't agree there. One, because the Knicks fan base can't help themselves. The pursuit of name value superstars will never truly end. Maybe amongst the front office, they will, but not amongst the fan base. These rumors are going nowhere. These hypothetical constructions, they're going nowhere. I think, if anything, it will give them more hope because they'll look at an OG Ananobi who is making big bucks after this summer. He likely opts out of that $19 million figure he has on his final year in a player option and ends up getting paid 30 maybe $35 million. You just don't know. There's about seven teams with cap space. We'll get to that in a minute. But my point is this. If you're a Cavaliers fan, follow me down this doomsday wormhole. If we arrive at a point where Donovan Mitchell asserts his desire to test unrestricted free agency. He confirms our fears that he doesn't want to be part of the Cavs. At that point, would you rather have a trade package that is constructed of R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly, or would you rather have one that's constructed of O.G. Ananobi as the focal point and, and other filler pieces that may arise between now and then, some picks, etc. There'll be other things involved. I think most of us would say OG and the picks. Now there's the second component of any future Knicks trade that becomes relevant here, and that would be the timing. As long as we're going to discuss this future horrible situation where Knicks fans get to say, we got Donovan Mitchell, let's just see this through to its completion. Because there is a scenario where we move Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks prior to his contract expiring. And that's the easier route and probably the more palatable one for both parties. They don't have to do the financial gymnastics of balancing a deal for a new contract Donovan Mitchell who will be making an absolute shitload of money, especially with the chances of an all-NBA nod. And we have to take back less big-money contracts because the Knicks don't have big-money contracts that are desirable, really. The only contract that you could say is a supreme value for them is Jalen Brunson, and perhaps you'd make that argument for Mitchell Robinson as well. But nobody wants Julius Randle at the cost of $32 million a year on a player option. Nobody really wants that. Uh, it's not in the deal where you're the one sending out the prized asset. That would be getting fucked over twice. We play this out, and then we move Donovan Mitchell in a sign-in trade. Well, his tradable salary that needs to be matched goes from around $35 million to over $47 million. That means a lot more pieces will be involved, which just complicates any trade discussion. In this doomsday scenario, it would be better to end up with OG and a bunch of draft assets without having to eat Julius Randle's contract. Because if you're giving away the best talent in the deal, you shouldn't have to absolutely destroy your salary cap and skyrocket into the second apron to do so. That's not a deal you can make without losing every fan in the fan base. For the Cavaliers, this doomsday scenario is only really palatable from a roster balance standpoint. The dollars still aren't ideal. Nobody wants to overpay OG Ananobi, especially if his dollars put him in a trade range that makes attaining Donovan Mitchell realistic. That means OG's making a shitload of money. But the one way that you could argue this is palatable is that it prevents the Cavs from diving into the second apron and it puts Garland in a situation which many of us have wondered if we would fare better in, which is a return to his all-star season, where he was the lead guard and he was dictating all the action. 
maybe we will arrive at a point where it'll seem far more palatable because when our team is healthy, we just can't, for whatever reason, get to where we envision this team getting with these two dominant lead guards playing alongside one another. I think this stretch of basketball has at least made people wonder, well, maybe less is more in some of these situations less overall talent in the players that we have, but at a lesser price point and a better fit. You can obviously make the argument after seeing what we've seen from Jared Allen that he can provide more than our system allows for when left to his own devices. I'm not saying we're a better team, mind you. I'm just talking about maximizing what we're getting from the players. And sometimes Allen has been better at times in the absence of Mobley. Garland has been better at times in the absence of Mitchell and vice versa. It's fair to say that. That's obviously not what anyone wants to hear, but we have to confront there is some reality and some possible truth to that. We just need to see if at any point when this team is totally healthy, if all the star power we have can eventually live up to expectations. And that's yet to be seen. That's why JB takes so many bullets, because when you see Jared Allen do what he's done over the past several games, and then with a full contingent against the Knicks on the most important stage of the playoffs, he has a relative no-show that is crushing morale-wise, and somebody has to be held accountable. So I absolutely, 100%, unequivocally want to play this season out with the guys that we have, but I'm at least open to the possibility that if we have another failure, this postseason, everyone involved, the team, Donovan Mitchell, even the fan base, we may come to the conclusion collectively that this isn't working and that we want to try a new approach. And if we arrive there, this bullshit hypothetical conversation I had about the Knicks seems a lot more palatable. Does it not? I think it does. You'd get an archetype which almost everyone in the fan base seems to want addressed and you'd replenish a lot of the draft assets that you lost in the original Donovan Mitchell deal. Now, we can't go back and undo things and add Lowry marketing and all that. That ship has sailed. This is simply a conversation that came about because I didn't understand why people would say that, well, this ends the talk of Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks. I don't think it does. In fact, I think it'll ramp up. And since my man BP asked me, I wanted to address this Knicks-Raptors trade. Now, here's the other thing I will say from the Knicks perspective. If I was viewing this trade and I was asked who won, the Knicks or the Raptors, from a sheer talent out versus talent in standpoint, I would say the Raptors. But as it relates to looking at it through the prism of a Cavaliers fan, if you asked me if I thought this Knicks iteration was a more formidable opponent than the version we saw last year, I do. Now, our roster overall may be better, but I think that iteration of the Knicks with OG Ananobi instead of a inconsistent R.J. Barrett and a complete no-show that we got from IQ in the playoffs is one that I would fear more. We're fortunate because Mitchell Robinson is out for the season, so that changes things dramatically to the point where there's almost no scenario where I wouldn't bet on the Cavs here. But I don't love a hypothetical future of OG Ananobi dogging Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland for 35 to 40 minutes a night. The Knicks are already a good defensive team. You plop in a top five defensive player into a Tom Thibodeau system, that's an unknown I don't want to test. We're a deeper squad overall, and I don't personally believe that we could shoot worse than we did last season. I think we would come in with a better shooting performance. I think we would come in with a better plan as to how to minimize the offensive rebounding bonanza that they got out of Robinson and Hartenstein and Josh Hart. But 
I don't love the idea of OG Ananobi chasing Donovan Mitchell around for an entire series. Now, I need to change the subject because this kind of feels like I'm praising the Knicks, and I hate myself on the inside for it. We need to talk about the Raptors side of this, another team that I hate. Trying to justify this for either in a way that positively reflects upon them disgusts me. In fact, the optimal outcome for this trade would be all the involved parties find out they're being traded, they hop on a plane to fly to their new destinations, and while in midair from New York and Toronto... Their planes collide and everybody dies. That's the only real win-win here. Now, I would settle for them living, but having to eat each other's legs, cannibal style, which would render them significantly worse basketball players, I believe. I mean, maybe I shouldn't assume. I just spoke about John Foppy overcoming no arms on the last podcast. Who am I to say that a basketball player whose legs have been eaten by a teammate couldn't succeed? But let's stick to these stupid Canadians, shall we? As for the Raptors, here's the thing. There's a couple of things we can all acknowledge. Masai Ujiri has had a rough go of things lately. For whatever reason, there was a reported trade on the table last year after the Mikhail Bridges trade where the Grizzlies were rumored to be having offered three first-round picks for OG Ananobi. Now, we'll never know if that was 100% accurate, but for the sake of disparaging Canadians, I'm going to take it as absolute fact, and I'm going to say that they probably regret not having gotten off OG Ananobi when he had a year and a half left versus now trading him as he's about to reach unrestricted free agency, vastly diminishing the value that they could recoup for him. But I can't fault them for getting something for him if they knew they didn't want to pay him his market price, which will be substantial. Here's where I do like what they did. Instead of going the route of holding out for draft assets and hoping that you can rebuild on the unknown, they get R.J. Barrett, a Canadian who, despite his flaws, is beloved And the real prize of the package, in my view, is Emmanuel Quickly. You get a guy on a team starved for point guard play where Dennis Schroeder is basically all you have there, and Scotty Barnes is playing point forward, essentially. And you get a younger guy that hopefully can slot in both as a point guard and a combo guard. Solid defender, bigger frame. He can fill some of the void you lost in letting Fred Van Fleet go. I think it will benefit Jakob Pertl. I think you'll get much better pick and roll play with quickly involved, a guy who you can actually trust with an outside shot. It should give some of the interior guys more room to roll, and I don't know what will happen with Siakam. I somewhat believe that they'll also fire sale him, but I do think it was time to just acknowledge reality, which is that this super long team with no true point guard, it wasn't working. For as great as Scotty is and how much better he got this season, uh, this is a soft rebuild. You still get to keep some talent around him, so his Good passing ability isn't totally wasted. You get to add more shooting that while coming in a smaller frame than Ananobi also comes with some on-ball creation and you don't have to pay OG what you would probably have to pay for him. You get a little bit younger in the process and RJ can fill some of the numbers void, if nothing else, if a Siakam walks away. He's not as good as Siakam, but do you want to commit big money to a guy at that age considering where you are in your rebuild or build or whatever you want to call it in Toronto. So do I love it for the Raptors? No, but if the alternative is OG just walks anyway, I certainly would rather have this outcome than just cap space because cap space alone won't do much for you. And let's speak about that. There are going to be projected anyway. And this comes from Keith Smith. He, he was talking about this on Spotrack, about the teams projected to have cap space in 2024. There are seven teams expected 
to have a roughly 20 million or more in cap space. Only four are expected to have 30 million or more in cap space. The Magic, which will have 42 million, the Sixers, which should have about 41 million because a bunch of their contracts expired, Tobias Harris and others, the Pistons with 39 million, the Jazz with 36 million. Now that to me is an interesting one to look at. The Jazz are a team which I would love to see them throw the weight of that money at OG Ananobi just to force the Knicks' hands. Do I think they will? No, because OG is not going to put them over the top, but I hope they at least swing that cap space like a hammer, as well as the teams above them. I hope the Magic's existence, the Pistons' existence, and the Jazz's existence, all teams that are far over $30 million in cap space, force an outcome where both the Raptors and the Knicks overpay quickly and overpay OG Ananobi. Now, much of what happens next summer is going to depend on who chooses to opt out. There are a lot of high-profile free agents who are clearly better players than OG and Siakam, but aren't truly unrestricted free agents. Paul George, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden. These are all guys who likely, many of them, will exercise their player options, but will do so in hopes of extending for bigger dollars in this locations that they currently are. I don't think a lot of people are going to be clamoring to opt out to go land with the Pistons or the Jazz. I think the more realistic thing is you're going to see those teams used as leverage to squeeze every last dollar out of the situations that these players are threatening leaving. Um, I don't think many of them want to go to those scenarios. Now, the Magic, I don't want to slander them. I certainly think they have a bright future ahead of them. Certainly. Who wouldn't want to play with Joe L. Embiid? <laughs> Fuck that guy. But uh, your OG Ananobi level of player, he's exactly the type of guy who I could see being overpaid because it's usually the role players who end up cashing in in free agency because they're the only ones who truly move in that scenario. And that's why, again, that kind of reiterates the point I made about I don't hate what the Raptors did in going with the get guys who are known commodities rather than saying, oh, we want cap space because cap space seems largely useless. And that's the other thing, though, that gives me some comfort with Donovan Mitchell is this idea that there's going to be a bunch of teams with cap space that Donovan Mitchell would realistically walk into. Just look at that list I gave you just for this upcoming summer. It's going to be similar. It's going to be more garbage teams who have a bunch of rookie contracts that have space when Donovan Mitchell hits unrestricted free agency. So would I be scared of being leveraged by a Pistons team or a Jazz team or a Hornets team or a Wizards team? No, I wouldn't be. So that's that's another reason why I say there's really no reason to panic here. The focus is as it was a week ago. Just try to win the games you can. Play to win. Let the chips fall where they may. So one more thing from Brad, BP and Pepper Pike, as it were. He had a second part to his question. Looking towards the February trade deadline, do you see the Cavs doing anything? I would still like to see the Cavs try to put together a trade, try to get rid of the Ricky Rubio contract, possibly get rid of Dean Wade, also get rid of Ty, Jerome, bring in some type of a small forward or even a power forward. Let me know your thoughts. Take care and keep up the great work. Thank you, BP and Pepper Pike, for being the first user of the new feedback feature on CavsPod.com. Again, you can go there, you can record yourself with a comment, with a disagreement, with a question. 
I will profile them in these Fear the Fro Pod episodes. But to his question, do I want to trade Dean Wade? No. For $6 million, I think he's a, a good stopgap for that archetype, which we seem to be longing. He can play some defense. He can serviceably hit a three ball, and that seems to be improving as his shoulder health has returned to him. I don't think he's an irreplaceable player, but for our roster construction and considering the salary impact that many of these fully extended guys are going to have on us, those value contracts serve a purpose. I would absolutely embrace a scenario where we move Rubio's contract. The problem is, it's going to have to be for a player who is largely useless to his team. We're not going to get back some supreme player. We don't have the assets to kind of bundle with him. We could give a second-round pick, some second-round picks with him. But really, you have to ask yourself, is what we're getting back important enough to throw what minimal assets we have left into a deal just to offload one more season of Rubio at $6 million. I don't know that we're going to want to throw in assets just to get a guy who's the 10th, 11th man on the roster. It may just not be worth upsetting the apple cart. I saw Evan Damrell suggest something with Dennis Schroeder for a second-round pick. I would do that. Yeah, sure. But again, that's just kind of going to muddy the waters. If we already have people bitching about not playing Craig Porter Jr., I think Schroeder definitely has talent, and he can play minutes in a playoff rotation. I just don't know if that's our biggest need, and I don't know if I want to stifle CPJ's development, but maybe that's just me being too much of a Cavs homer. I don't hate that deal, though, but I saw one from a guy follow on Cavs Twitter, at Adam Eaton, I believe. It's Adam Eaton. I don't know what his handle is without looking, but he said, Mascala for Ricky Rubio, and that one intrigued me because I think it made sense for both sides to some degree, and that's exactly the type of deal that I think is realistic because Muscala fits an archetype that we would like, a stretch four who has a good outside shot, really isn't being utilized in Washington. They're not playing for much of anything. He makes minimal money. And if they don't move him, they may just buy him out. Who knows? This might be a moot conversation because he might be attainable if they choose to cooperate and free him so he can try to find a role somewhere. He only makes three and a half million, but it's off the books this year. So the Wizards might just say, no. Why would we want Rubio? We got another year of money for a guy that we don't use. Why would we do that? We'd have to probably grease that because he has one more year left where it's a $4 million partial guarantee. So I guess that return, the fact that I'm saying I don't even know if Mike Mascala is realistic, should illustrate the idea that straight up, I don't think Rubio holds much value. Bundled with Ty, maybe slightly more value. But again, Ty's not helping himself here. For a guy who's been out with an ankle sprain for months at this point, I don't know how much value he's going to hold. He doesn't have a long contract. It's only a couple of seasons. And yet again, injuries are kind of thwarting him from showcasing his value. I don't think he's a bad player. I do think we're pretty deep at guard. But I don't know that him and Rubio packaged together are going to get you much of anything. I do think we need a big more than we need guard play, given what we've seen from Craig Porter Jr. However, I would just say I wouldn't get too optimistic in the return that the Ricky Rubio contract is going to get you. I think it takes a perfect confluence of circumstances to get anything that's going to substantially impact our fortunes. So I'm going to have a guest on the next podcast, but I wanted to post this because everybody's doing these. The one thing I could offer that maybe some of your other trade reaction pods don't is how it impacts the Cavaliers, which is what we're all here for, I believe so. Don't find yourself screaming at your phone when the only commentary about trades completely ignores the question of why the fuck would the Cavaliers do that? Whether it's Jared Allen, whether it's Pirtle, like they got to get somebody. 
Shay's one of the best players in the world. He's fucking kicking ass. They have an obligation to go try to chase the title. Cash in the fucking picks. Go for the title. Now, I would be a massive, massive hypocrite if I just spent a half an hour talking about future trades where the Cavaliers engage other teams and then I killed Simmons for having a hypothetical trade discussion. But my issue here is that three men were on that podcast and they talked at length about what they want for the Oklahoma City Thunder in the future, but nobody acknowledged the reasoning behind why would the Cavaliers consider doing that trade? It certainly doesn't reflect what is currently playing out where the Cavaliers are winning games without two of the stars in their core and where the Cavaliers are seeing perhaps the best basketball from Jared Allen that we've seen in his entire career. Not even a mention of that, though, which, you know, whatever, I'm grumpy. I should let this shit roll off my back, but I can only hear Lou Dort is the object of desire for the Cavaliers along with picks so many times. If we were going to do that deal, it would be just like OG Ananobi, where we've resigned ourselves to the fact that we don't want to pay Jared Allen in his next contract. But right now, he's not going anywhere. And these conversations are irritating because they make it seem like you're not even watching what's playing out on the court. I don't, I do whatever you want with your podcast, but that conversation sucked. I hope to God, the fact that the Cavs and the Raptors, now I'm taping this before the game. I hope a lot of national people tune in. I hope what happens in this game is that Jared Allen continues his streak of ridiculous play and we can put some of these storylines to bed. Thank you for listening. And again, I would love if you participate. I want your voices on this Fear the Fro podcast. So go to CavsPod.com. There's a button right on the side that says talk to Bob. You click it. It's simple. It lets you record a message for me. I will chop it up. I will edit it. I will put it in this podcast and we will grow this thing. Another great year lies ahead. You have grown this podcast tenfold season after season and 2024 should be no different. I am grateful for you. I am grateful for the reviews you've left me. I hope you had an incredible holiday season and here's to a great 2024. My resolution is to make the Fear the Fro pod the biggest Cavalier podcast I possibly can. Every one of your reviews helps this thing appear higher up the algorithm. And that's my goal here. Because the more people that see it, the more that listen. And some of you will hate my guts, understandably. I'm a scumbag. But I do love the Cavs. And that can bring us together, if nothing else. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro It's over. podcast. That was... Pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out fropod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here.